This is For the Sake of, a podcast by the Society of the Sacred Heart in the United States and Canada. It's about faith, life, and what it all means. I'm your host, Sister Kim King. On this episode, we continue our series with members of the Society of the Sacred Heart United States Canada Provinces Anti-Racism Committee. Today, my conversation is with Lori Wilson. Lori is an associate of the Sacred Heart and a former educator at Sacred Heart Greenwich in Greenwich, Connecticut. She shares about her connection to the society, the transformational values in which our community's anti-racism work is rooted, and also speaks to why this work is important, as well as her hopes for the future. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Lori Wilson, to our podcast, For the Sake of. I'm so glad that you agreed to be with us today. Thank you, Kim. I wonder if we could begin with you talking about your connection to the Society of the Sacred Heart. Sure. I resisted the Society of the Sacred Heart for a long time. (laughs) I worked at a parish and I had somebody who had worked with me and she said, Lori, you need to come to this school. This school is you. Everything about it, it is you. You need to come there. No, I don't want to be in education. I really enjoy parish work. I'm going to stay here. And we had um, three priests who were removed at one time. in the midst of the scandal. And I said, I needed a change. And so I called her and I said, look, are there any jobs at that school? Cause I'm willing to go and check it out. And, uh, and I was interviewed for a middle school theology job and I met sister Magnetti and, um, we had an interview and the first question she asked me was, Lori, so you have a middle school girl who comes to you and says, she thinks she wants to be a priest. How are you going to respond? That was our interview. So we went from one issue to another. And I and I went home and I said, you know what? I think I could work for that girl. And so um, I went home and I did some more research about the society and I read the charism and I said, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I think I've come home. Yeah. I had my own personal mission statement was... Um, was to reflect. I used the words of reflect. I wanted to reflect God to everyone that I met. And so that when they left me, they left me feeling more loved than when they entered the room. And that's, that was my introduction. Beautiful. And now you have since then, that was in what year? That was 2001. Hmm. And so I was at uh, Sacred Heart Greenwich for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I was able to do a lot of things there. I was very grateful for my my time there, and I was introduced to the International Society. Um, I wanted to become an associate my first year, and I was told no. I had to wait, I think, maybe eight or nine years before I got the yes. And then I became an associate. But while I was told no... I continued to read. I read Phil Kilroy. I read every book that I could get my hands on. 
we organized formation to mission trips and walked in the footsteps of Sophie and Philippine. And I was in Janet Erskine Stewart's home where she grew up in England. And so I, I knew that the society and the charism was my call from God and how I was supposed to live my spirituality. Sure. Um, for any listeners who might not know what it is to be an associate, I wonder if you could explain a little bit about what that relationship is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, I see the call to association as a vocation. So as a lay person, I'm called to live the same charism. I'm a married person. I live in the secular world, I guess, if you would. But my my commitment to the charism, to living, to living that out, is what I know God calls me to. So different from Sister Kim, mm-hmm. right, who lives as a, a single person, avowed religious, um, I am a married person and I have taken vows in my marriage, um, but my spirituality, the call to the spirituality, is where God has called me to live. In your explanation, you were talking about the the charism of the society. So that would be sort of the mission, the main driving force, if you will, of the Society of the Sacred Heart. Exactly. So for me, I had a personal mission statement. I guess we call the charism the society's mission statement to make known the love of the heart of God in our wounded world, to reveal it and, and to make that known. And so you made a commitment. Were you alone or were there others with you when you were doing that? Uh, We make a commitment with our group, usually in the presence of RSCJ at the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. So um, I've made a promise to God to live this charism. This is where God has called me. And so yearly, I make that commitment in front of uh, fellow associates and RSCJ. So, yeah. (laughs) it's an awesome thing so it's really about how that mission is the foundation of my life and everything that i do all of my choices flow from that foundation Hmm. one of those choices was becoming a part of the society of the sacred heart united states canada provinces anti-racism committee what was the the story there well, that story began um, where I grew up. So I'm, I'm going to back up a little, tell you a little bit about my story. Wonderful. I was born and raised in Michigan in a little farming community. Um, and I was raised in this perfect bubble by my parents. Hmm. Life was good. Life was happy. I didn't watch a lot of the news. I didn't watch a lot of um, TV. We played outside. And my parents shielded us from the woundedness of the world. Hmm. And I really had no sense that racism was real until I was about 19 years old. I really, I really didn't. The community I lived in was an all white community. Hmm. It was Polish and German immigrants. Um, We were very connected to the church. It was the center of kind of our world. And then um, I got a job at a bank and uh, I had to hire someone. And I was given a stack of resumes. And my supervisor said, this one, this one resume, put it at the bottom. 
And I said, well, why would I do that? I thought they were in alpha, alpha order. That's how I like just organized. And she said, this is a black person. Put it at the bottom of your stack. Mm. I was 19 years old and I went home and I said to my mom, I said, racism is, it, it's in existence. It's in this city where I, where I work. And mom said, Lord, you are working in a city of, uh, it was upper class. It was on right on the water. And she said, they just do things a little differently. And pretty much she was telling me to play things safe. You're like, don't ruffle feathers. You want to keep your job. Just do what you have to do. But it was my introduction that life was not the same for everyone. Hmm. Then I worked with this guy, Donnie. He was from the deep south, from Georgia. And he became a really close friend. He walked me through his life of what it meant to be a black man in Georgia. And I got the sense, I realized what he had to deal with growing up, he lived in a totally different world than I did. Mm -hmm. So as I shared kind of my upbringing with other people, some people said, your parents did you the best service they could have ever done for you because you have a vision of what life can be like. It can be loving. It can be kind. Because my first 19 years were just love and kindness. Other people say your parents did a terrible thing. You should know, you should have known growing up what life was like for the rest of the planet, for the other half. Hmm. Because I lived a white, privileged life. I truly did. So when I heard that the society was going to have this anti-racism effort and I was invited to be on this committee, like, of course, yes, because my life has been a journey since that time. So since I discovered life was not fair for everybody and we still had real issues in our world. With your work on that committee, and given the real issues that still are in our world, uh, what's your greatest hope for the work of that committee? And what is some of that work that's being done? So one of the things that I've discovered, even when I was 20 years old, and especially being on that committee, it's a growing understanding of how I have been shaped by what I have been taught. So to understand my own uh, racist underlying thoughts and feelings that I'm not even aware of. Mm. So for me, the journey is uh, an internal journey to understand that so I can stop that. Mm. Um, Because what I've realized is that even though if somebody were to say, Lori, are you a racist? My urge would be to say no. But what I know now is that I'm sure that I have racist tendencies and racist attitudes on some level that I'm not even aware of, Hmm. but I want to learn what they are. So I stop that. So that's one part of the work of this committee. Mm -hmm. The other part is to approach the work that we do in a different way. So we've been learning about transformational values and implementing those values so that you can break cycles. Mm. 
the other piece that the committee was asked to do was to connect with somebody else. Um, And so I connected with uh, a person of color from Florida and I spoke to her after January 6th Mm -hmm. and she was so upset by what happened um, in a different way than I was. Mm -hmm. She was looking at it as, you know, when the black lives matter movement happened in Washington and how that was approached was Mm -hmm. very different from this 98% group of white people Mm -hmm. and the different approach to that violence. And it again made me very aware of how different our lives are because I come at things totally different than a person of color. Sure. So that self-awareness is huge. So part of the work is I've made a commitment myself to bring those values into every sphere that I possibly can Hmm. and try to continue the conversation about what institutional racism is. And of course, I work for the church here as a pastoral associate and the church, you know, what we know of is, is that it, it's pretty much a white man's club right? There's been institutional racism in the church and I work for the church. Mm. So I want to try to change some of that if I can. So that is really the work of this committee. And each person has to take it on in the way that they can. Mm -hmm. As an associate, someone who walks uh, so intimately and closely with the religious of the sacred heart, how do you see this work as important to the RSCJ community? This is what I think. The Society of the Sacred Heart in our province has a unique opportunity. If we could do something about institutional racism in the society in this province, we could influence the rest of this province. We can't live this charism and to be God's heart in this wounded world, unless we do something about this. Because racism at the heart of it, it's, I am more important than you because of the color of our skin. Mm. If we can't get beyond that, we really can't be God's heart in this wounded world. I can't see it. So I think that is like, that is the work we have to do. We know you're an associate and you're a part of this committee. You're a pastoral associate and you're a mom and you're a grandmother. And I'm a spiritual director. And you're a spiritual director. Let's say one of your grandchildren asks what they can do to make this better for the future. What would I say? Yep. Well, one thing, my grandchildren are all seven and younger. Mm -hmm. So that would be in the future. I was also the principal of an inner city Catholic school. Mm -hmm. So what I have in my mind is one of those kids who asks Mrs. Wilson, what do we do to make this better? Mm -hmm. And what we did at our school 
We started with social emotional learning. We started a different form of discipline. So when there were issues between kids, it was really about conversations about what that did to the other person so that they could hear the feelings of the person that they hurt. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just slapping a punishment on another child. They had to listen to each other. They had to hear what it felt like to be called whatever name it was. We started to reshape how we encourage kids to be in relationship with each other. So they would see each other as people, Hmm. not as just a kid who doesn't live in my neighborhood or somebody who comes from a different country. They had to understand who they were as a member of the planet and what brought them together. So the only way I could see we could do that is Mm -hmm. by having them talk through all of the issues. So it caused us to really shift those conversations you had in classroom, um, things had to be on a, a deeper level so that they would get to what it really meant to be a member of a class, to be in a pod with the diversity that that brought and how, how we can care for each other, but how easy it is to hurt each other. Because for them, once they hurt each other, it took a long time to heal. So the goal was to stop the hurt. So what I would tell those kids when they would say, how do I make this better? Look at the person as a person. Mm-hmm. And imagine that's your brother or sister, mm-hmm. not a person that you have no connection with. I think that's at the essence of this is to know that we are responsible to and for each other. It's kind of like Richard Rohr, who said, who teaches the universal Christ. If we imagined that Christ lived in every single human being, and he goes on to the, you know, the created world, if we really did that, the world would be so different because I would look at another person as sacred. Racism would stop. We would totally live differently and be more forgiving and be more open. It's about that shift. It, but I think it's like Sophie was so brilliant because everything was a, a radical relationalism for her, right? Mm-hmm. Even when people were mean to her, she didn't let them go. She pursued them. She kind of moved in. And that model of relationship, it's like the opposite of what I want to do. Somebody hurts me. I want to like distance myself. I don't want to go there anymore. But Sophie says, no, pursue that relationship. Find out what's going on there. Love them through that. Discover your commonality and work through those, those differences. Like, that's what I think we have to learn to do. So that's what I would tell one of my grandkids when they get old enough to ask me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I used to tell my middle schoolers. Repair it seems like that's work we still need to do as adults, too. When you are in the, the world of associates and participating on this committee, are there things that you see that the religious of the Sacred Heart could do toward that uh, glorious ideal that you were just speaking of? What do you see that, that could be done concretely? That, would, that might help us with that. 
Well, I was just on a call and we were talking about this. And so we have this idea uh, to create dialogue circles. So in our country right now, we have massive division. So we have this idea, and I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful one, is to create dialogue circles where we can come and actually have conversations. And if we are come at things from opposite places, to listen to each other, to understand why, not with the thought to convince the other person to change their mind, but to understand where is our starting point that we do agree and where do we diverge? Because I think if we understood that place of divergence, that's the place where we need to talk to hmm. be able to find out how can we come back together. You know, one of the big issues is that we can't talk about anything because if we disagree, then it just ends in anger or people pulling away. So for me, I just think this is an awesome opportunity. If we can learn how to do this well and we can talk about things, I think that could have a ripple effect for how we engage other people beyond the society. But we have to, we have to start with the family within, you know, we have, because we have a common starting point. We have the charism. That is our starting point. That is our foundation. So if we begin there and that's our common truth, then, then let's figure out where we diverge and how, how can we hear each other? You know, it's a big idea, but we have to try. Because I think that could have possibility. Hmm. Lori, in what you were saying earlier, you mentioned transformational values. I wonder if you might uh, explain a little bit more about what that what you mean. Sure. Um, when we had our first conference in St. Louis, our presenters, um, sisters Patty Chappelle and Anne Louise Nadeau, introduced them. So in summary, or in my own words, the four transformational values, what we call transformational values, Mm -hmm. one of them is both and thinking, which of course, just even in that, you can see it's not just all my thought, Mm -hmm. my truth is that the other person has truth also. So you take all of that in, and that's a value that you begin with. And it has a bias towards action, that you're actually going to do something. Another one is having an abundant worldview as opposed to a worldview that there isn't plenty Mm -hmm. for everyone. The other one is transparency, transparency in decision-making. And the fourth one is collaboration and cooperation. So these four values were um, rolled out to us, and it's something that for the associates, we have tried to introduce. So we had a conference call um, with sisters Patty and Anne Louise, and they rolled it out to all of the associates. And interestingly, we had a lot of RSCJ that were on the call too. So what we're trying to do is roll those out so people have a sense of them, because if you implement and use these, then they can reshape your thinking in a lot of ways. So they're called transformational values. Um, sometimes anti-racism values as well, because they get at those underlying things that we've been taught, because you have to think about how to do this. How do you implement collaboration and cooperation when, like 
I'm not a process person. I would much prefer to just do it myself and get it done quicker. But collaboration and cooperation causes me to say, ooh, how can I draw on the gifts of all of the people in the group that I'm with? So we have tried to implement these and share these out with the associates and make it one of the things that, you know, I've suggested if we all took these and said we are going to implement these in our associate groups and in every sphere that we have any influence in, that would make a big difference. So these are being, you know, um, rolled out to the society in our province in general, and we are continuing to talk about them as an associates group. Hmm. It sounds like these transformational values deal with your overt behaviors and how you make those behaviors manifest in a lot of ways. And they also, they make me think of Jesus. If I think about the both and, there is good, there is evil. They both are, and we choose. And the collaboration and cooperation and community forming and transparency, the being truthful, the abundant world view. Among us all, we can feed 5,000 people. And I think taking those values that you were talking about, because that's the application of those values that does not look beyond where is the need and what is the need of the moment. And it doesn't look at color or the social class or anything like that. That's a beautiful thing. It is. And, you know, Kim, as you're talking about it, as these being values of Jesus, they're values that are hopeful, that envision a world that's different. Hmm. Why do you think it's so hard? I think we have to work at not doing what sometimes comes so natural, Mm. like turning away from somebody who hurts you or who you don't agree with. For me, collaborating with the group when I know I could do the work quicker myself, Mm. but the call is to be collaborative because that builds a stronger world when you work with other people. We're a communal people. But sometimes I have to fight my own natural tendencies, and I have to unlearn certain behaviors. But I have to be aware that I have them, and that takes work. Hmm. So I think it's hard to say, you know, I am a child of God. I am a daughter of Sophie, but I'm not a perfect person. And I have to be intentional about how I'm going to live and work in this world. Hmm. We have to be committed to it. Yes. And committed each one of us, but also committed to doing it together. Exactly. And doing that work as a community and as a group. And that's a hard thing to do. 
but when it happens and we have we have seen glimmers of that we see glimpses of that of the good that comes from that coming together in the belief that we are each and we are all images of god and worthy of being that image in its fullness and in its diversity. But that doesn't happen overnight. No, it doesn't. And that's why, you know, we were told if you're going to take this on, this is not going to be over with quickly. Mm. And it's going to take hard work. For sure. And you all have to be committed together. Mm. Then we're saying, okay. Then I'm saying, it's okay that I didn't know that there was racism. But once you know something, you can't not know it. Mm -hmm. Now that I know what this world really is for a lot of people, I can't not know that. I have to do something. Mm. So that's why I'm so grateful to be part of this work. Mm. Well. We are grateful that you are a part of it as well. And I am grateful to be standing with you in that work, navigating the cracks by the light that makes its way through and navigating those cracks together. Thank you very much, Lori, for your time today. Thank you, Kim. And the work that you're doing and what you bring and what you contribute to the discovery and the revelation of God in this world. Thank you, Kim. A special thanks to Lori, and a big thank you to you, our listeners, for your support of this podcast. I'm your host, Kim King, and this has been For the Sake of. You can subscribe to For the Sake of on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For the Sake of is a production of the Society of the Sacred Heart, United States, Canada province, supported by the Formation to Mission Committee. It's produced and directed by Aaron Everson, music written and produced by Eliza Lynn. Colleen Dolly is our production consultant. This show was mixed and edited by Noah Levinson. For more conversations on faith, life, and what it all means, visit rscj.org slash for the sake of.